Hi, I'm Audrey Bellis, and you're listening to Brown Girls Rising, a worthy women podcast in partnership with Nylon Español. We tell stories about fierce, femme, leaders, and activists of color bettering our worlds. Let's get started. All right, you guys, we are back in studio. Today I have Lainey Dyes on, and I know I say this a lot. I talk about how, oh my gosh, a girl crushed on you. I met you on Instagram. We should just change the name of this podcast to Audrey's Girl Crushes. Audrey's Insta Girl Crushes. Because I'm thirsty and I I lust for y'all. I want I y'all. I love it. I love it. In I'll the wa- building. Yes. So Lainey, we met on Instagram. We'd been following each other for a while. Slid into her DMs a few times. We never quite met up. We're always crossing paths, but not quite meeting each other. And we finally have had the opportunity to sit on a panel together, do some interviews together, and having her here, what do we call you, the Filipina outcast? Yes, yes, in the building. Yes. Big boy right here. Lainey, welcome to Brown Girls Rising. Thank you so much. Can I just say that the feeling is mutual? And when I saw those hip-hop lyrics, I was like, real, recognize real, you know? And I was surprised. I was like, how come, how come no one's com- commenting on how awesome these lyrics are? Because that's thoughtful and... People really need to appreciate that and kind of, you know, I'm giving you your props. Thank you. And, you know, for me, I think people don't realize that they're hip-hop lyrics. And they sit there and they're like, well, what does this mean? Oh, my gosh. Do you guys remember when Facebook was more popular than it is now? And we didn't have forms of, like, Instagram and we weren't really Twitter big. I would say, like, 10 years ago, like, when I was in college. And people would post these thirsty-ass Facebook posts. Oh, my gosh, you guys. Send love for me going through something really hard right now for like just the likes and the comments so you could get attention. Did I you have friends that. like that? Yes, they were very needy. I feel like I you still don't have need those to do friends. That, you know, like just be real with yourself. Oh, yeah. No, I still have those <laughs> friends. I don't, co- I unfollow them, but they're still there. Instagram, though, is the place for me where I post all my hip hop lyrics and I throw some mean shade. Like, uh oh. If you know, sometimes I'm sitting there and my caption's like, come for me. Let me see you try and come for me. Step to this. You don't wanna. You guys didn't see that shoulder roll. It was oh, amazing. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> it was here. My like neck roll, my shoulder roll. Sometimes I get ghetto, you guys. But this is why I love Lainey because she recognizes them, even the obscure lyrics where other people don't always catch on. But it, you know, it gives me a lot of love to know that you've got an appreciation for 90s hip hop, which oh, yes. I consider the golden era of hip hop. And you appreciate this because you are a DJ. Yeah. So I host a monthly dance party called The Drop 2000s era hip hop. You know all about that. And it's it's in downtown L.A. You definitely need to check it out every month. So we will be there every month. It's summertime right now. And you do it in Chinatown. Yes, Grand Star Jazz Club. And it's Chinatown Summer Nights, you guys. So savor, stroll, dance, beat bop your way down, crip walk if you're cool like that. Oh, crip walk. (laughs) I haven't done that in a long time. I don't know if I can still do it. I went through like a real hood phase. Speaking of hood phases, this weekend I was at my parents' house. I'm there, my boyfriend's there, family's there. And we're going through this debate over how brown I am because we're talking about brown girls rising. And literally, I felt like I got the Spanish version, like in Spanish version of being told, like, why are you acting light skinned? No I, way. And I go, there's not really a Spanish equivalent of that, but it's very much like, like, why are you behaving low class? Right. Or like 
the opposite version of it where I've been told, okay, sometimes you're too white for being as brown as you are. Do you guys have that as a Filipina? Oh, yeah, definitely. I feel like sometimes for me, like I'm too white for my Filipino friends. And then when I'm in Philippines, they think I'm too American, you know, so it's hard kind of like balancing the two. And sometimes people call me ghetto and it, it hurts, you know, because I'm like I'm business ghetto. Like I have hood in my veins, but Girl, I'm still you're like smart. Suge Knight. Mine is the killing. You're like, I'm gonna come for you. <laughs> Can I just tell you, have you seen All Eyes on Me yet? Of course I have. Okay. So it's we, on Tupac's birthday. Oh, just saw it. Oh, you ready for some Illuminati stuff? Oh, no. Okay, here, we here go. it goes. Here it goes. We're going to drop it, you guys. I see All Eyes on Me sitting here. We're having this fantasy about Suge Knight. Like, damn, could I be the female Suge Knight of the podcast industry? Or just, <laughs> you know, Suge Knight-ish where I scare you and you don't want to fuck with me a little bit. Leave the movie. Still talking about it. Call an Uber to go home because I wasn't feeling well, as you can tell from my voice. Uber driver picks us up and he goes, hey, what movie did y'all see? And we go, we just saw All Eyes on Me. He's like, man, don't get me started on that. And I go, why? It was really good. He goes, you're not going to believe me if I tell you. And we said, all right, try us. And he goes, I'm Tupac's cousin. And we go, no, we don't believe you. Pulls out his Instagram photos with his mom, photos with the family, his parents we're like very close to Suge's mom. And when they came out here to California, their families grew up together. So they were like cousins. So they've got tattoos together, vintage photos of them from when they were young. And I'm just sitting here like, that was some Illuminati shit. They just oh dropped gosh. that. We had to be in his Uber. And That's wild. he lives downtown, the Uber driver. And he's picked me up before. And he's like, I remember you. Did I not take you to the flower district one time early in the morning? And I was like... Yo, Tupac's cousin. Okay, I need to follow Tupac's cousin on Instagram. What's his handle? I'm going to give it to you. I'll give it to you after. I'm not going to blow up this guy's spot like that. But he was, uh, that was a crazy, crazy experience. It was, of all the Uber drivers you could have possibly gotten. I have a crazy Tupac story. Tell us. And I feel like when you're in hip hop, sometimes you forget like the people who are behind the scenes of it. So I went to this one event um, and I remember like, one of my mentors, he uh, worked with R. Kelly, and he did before the, he was a child molester. Yeah, he I did. Still love R. Kelly though. I'm gonna knock some boots to R. Kelly. He no did shame. the uh, music video for Bump and Grind, so he like knows. A, yes. Oh my girl, I'm like yes. dancing over here, y'all. So apparently, like I was in my first red carpet event, and he was like, "Oh, you should link up with my friend. She was a uh, Tupac's former publicist." And she was so nice and genuine, and she said so many great things about Tupac. And I was, I was feeling like, I feel like lots of people, like, they don't realize a legend is a legend in the making. Yes. You know, they only appreciate someone when they're gone. And when she was telling me all about Tupac's story, I was like, oh, did you know he was going to be a legend? She's like, I had no idea, but I felt like that spirit, and he was just always passionate about his work. You know, so when she told me about that, I was like, I can't believe I'm hanging out with Tupac's publicist. Like, this is a real person. Well, I also didn't realize from the movie how, because I was very young when he died. I remember doing like a current event that year on Biggie when he was killed. They were so young. They were so young. He was 25. He was 25 when he was killed to have done the recording time that he had done, all the albums that he had sold, the business that he was doing, the movies. And he was huge on scene. Imagine what he would have been long term. 
But it reminds me of things like, you know, we talk about Selena here on the podcast a lot because it's Latina, so everybody relates to her. Another young le- legend gone too soon mm-hmm, that we mm-hmm. have turned into a major icon for ourselves. I also didn't realize this until I saw the movie, but I always thought him and Biggie were a rivalry. I didn't realize that they were friendly. They, they were, were fr- homies. They were homies and then feeling like he was betrayed. And I mean, I feel like that storyline just in general, like how many times have we yeah. come up in the business, right? Mm-hmm. And just business in general in trying to get ahead in your game and you're friendly with people and you feel like they take your shit and they turn on you and they backstab you or, you know, you look at their Instagram and you're like, why are you throwing shade at me? I think that was for me and probably not. I've had people do that to me. They're like, oh my God, this tweet was about me. And I'm like, Okay, Carly Simon, you're so vain. This tweet is not about you. Not a hip-hop lyric. If you caught that, though, I love you because you get my 70s, like, appreciation for other types of music. But I think we're it's so easy for us to read into yeah. things. But it's also very cutthroat, and it's important to collaborate and try not to compete with each other. But it's hard. It's easy to get sucked into these waves of looking at other people's stuff, seeing what they're doing, and talk about being young and blowing up. I mean – you're a young woman. You're doing incredible things. You've worked with incredible groups. Give us a little bit of the backstory. Let's step back a minute, talk about how you got here and how this has evolved. Yeah, definitely. Like for me, specifically, D's on Dreams, I was always passionate about hip hop. My first job, fun fact, was Duck Down Records. I was their street team rep. Our producer, Randy, just made a face. He was like, what? Funny story. Okay, so I think this story is how I realized social media is going to change the game. And so basically, like, I've always wanted to be in the music industry. My parents wanted me to be a nurse, of course. Because you're Filipino. Yes. I feel like it's, like, in my blood. And I had to resist it. You know, I had a face swamp. Like, no, this isn't what I'm passionate about. I only wanted, like, you only have one life. You know, so if you feel, like, a gut feeling in your heart, this isn't where you're meant to be, you're probably not supposed to be there. So my first job was at Duck Down Records. And it was crazy because I actually got this opportunity off of Facebook and I emailed the the person. And I was like one of the few people who actually took the initiative and emailed the person. And I ended up like going to all the hip hop shows for free. And I would basically my whole work there was to talk to people and get their emails. And this was when I was super shy. Like in high school, I was. I literally cannot imagine you shy. I, girl, I was very shy. And I think this experience for me, it was so necessary, but I was so uncomfortable because I literally have to come up, go up to strangers. And I'd be the only Asian girl at these events, too, you know? So I'd be like, like, people would be like, who is this small Asian girl asking for my email address, you know? But I feel like when you, when you talk to someone like that, you really just gotta talk to them like, they're your friend. First of all, this person is a Talib Kweli show. They have great taste in music. You know, how can I, like, talk to them and be able to, like, get this information for them? So I would, like, butter them up. and be like, hey, you have dope taste in music. Like, you must go to, like, hip-hop shows, like, all the time. You know? So that was my first experience. And for me, I just realized, like, especially in L.A., like, we talked about this before. Lots of people have dreams but they don't execute it and they don't really realize that you need a strong team behind you. So the whole premise with Dizon on Dreams is every creative dream needs a dynamic team. You can't get to the top by yourself. You know, you need to have the right people, right mindset, 
behind you because I may be good at social media, but you may be good at great at like talking or connecting me with someone else, you know, and it's all through that collaborative effort that we help each other. And it's not really about competition. It's about growing with each other. So Dizon Dreams is really passionate about connecting with like like many people in the hip hop industry and just growing with them. I absolutely love that. I want to go back to something that you just said. You talked about you identified yourself as Asian. We've had other Filipina guests on the podcast that don't necessarily identify as Asian. They're like, well, we're not really Asian or people will consider us in the Filipino or the Pacific Islander category. I had ter- heard a term this weekend uh-huh. that I'd never heard before from my sister's Cambodian friend. We referred to her as her Bodhi friend. So I'm sitting here going, what is Bodhi? She's like, I'm Cambodian. I'm like, never heard that. And she goes, well, I'm jungle Asian. And jungle I go, Asian. <laughs> I go, what's jungle Asian? And she was like, basically, it's everything dark. People from, um, is it is it Laos, mm-hmm. Thailand, Filipino. She was like, basically, if you're dark and your nose is wide, you're jungle Asian. And I was like. I'm jungle Asian. <laughs> I was like, I've never heard of that. And she goes, let me tell you the hierarchy of Asians. She's like, you got your Japanese. You got Chinese. <laughs> but only some Chinese, depending on where you're from. Like, are you mainland China? And then you've got jungle Asian. And then you've got people that are light-skinned jungle Asian that pass for better things. And I was like, never in my life have I heard this term. I've never heard of that. And I'm just saying, she's telling me all matter of facts, like, yeah, that's what we are. We're jungle Asian. And I was like, that sounds very derogatory. And I was like, is that how you identify? And she's like, oh, well, yeah, among, like, mm-hmm. you know, friends. But I'm curious, do you ever struggle to fit into, like, what does it mean to be Asian versus Pacific Islander? Because I feel like Filipino people in general, you guys kind of get stuck as, like, redheaded stepchild that doesn't quite fit in anywhere but you have heavy Spanish influence I've said this before with past guests I feel like you guys are the most similar to Latino cultures oh definitely Tagalog sounds like Spanish your food is similar to ours the Catholic uh, influence in the family Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the construct of how we treat our elders and how we keep our units together as family like we're not like people that you know, you immigrate and then you're just spread out. No, you come together, you stay together, everybody's living together, you get married, you buy a house next door to each other, you're filling up like city blocks. Yeah, definitely. I, you know what? For me, I've always considered myself brown and Asian because I'm, I don't necessarily fit in with Japanese or Korean people. And I actually relate more to my Spanish and Mexican friends because we just have like, okay, first of all, there's no party like a Spanish party, and there's no party like a Filipino party. Like, oh, because you got karaoke and you yeah. got a pig. <laughs> You're just like us. Let me tell you what it's like to be Chun Mexico or from like the Inland Empire. You go kill a goat, you kill a pig because somebody came over, you roast it in the fire pit, and then you get some karaoke, or you get drunk off tequila and you have a banda, a little conjunto in the backyard. Okay, girl. We're the same. Have you had Lichon? Yes. Okay, that's what I'm saying. Like, that's how we throw it down. And it's like, when you go to like a Filipino party, it's like everyone's singing, everyone's dancing. And I feel like the thing that's so similar with us is is a community. Yes. You know, and the quality of relationships. And the nurturing of that community, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So let's kick it back to the nurse comment. I think that has a lot to do with it. I feel like literally you're, and this is very popular for Filipino women to become nurses, mm-hmm. but you have to come from a caring environment. And I think that comes down to how we're raised. We're taught like, you take care of your elders. You live with your elders. You're not shipping them off to old people's homes. Like, you know, 
even my grandma. My grandma's mm-hmm. 88 years old. My grandma lives with one of my aunts. My grandma has hasn't lived alone in years. Like there's no option that she's ever going to go to a facility where she needs full-time care. And thankfully she's not, she doesn't need that. She's very mobile, Mm -hmm. but you stay with family, you stay close, you stay local and family is everything for us. Oh yeah, definitely. Like I feel like even with my grandparents, like that it was never an option for them to be sent like anywhere, you know, because with, with, Our tradition and with Filipinos, it's all about caring about someone and appreciating them and loving them and making sure that they know that, you know, and that's not something that that is another person's job. You know, that's your job. And the fact that they've raised you and they've given you this opportunity, it's like you need to give back to them, you know, whether that it's through money or like showing that you care about them. That's something that is your responsibility because you know, they, they like I was raised by my grandparents, mm-hmm. you know, so for me, I I feel like my the foundation that I have with that is something that is a reason that I work so hard. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I love that you've already answered one of my upcoming questions that you do identify as brown. Is that something you've all a term you've always used or has that been something that you've grown into and evolved into really appreciating? I definitely have grown into that. I feel like you're going to make fun of me, but like uh, when I went to school at UC Irvine, I met these group of girls. There were two, uh, we call ourselves. I'm like different kind of Asian at UC Irvine. <laughs> two, 201 legends, right? And lucky for me, like I've grown with them through the past couple of years. That was a long, long time ago. And I call ourselves the Brown Girls Club, you know, because I feel like being a brown girl, you're very underrepresented and under underestimated. Oh, yeah. You know, and no one expects like a brown girl to come on top. You know, that's why I have so much respect for you and what you're doing with here, because these voices are not shared anywhere else. You know what I mean? It's a very strong few like people who are behind the scenes who are killing it. And they don't really have they don't really get to share their narrative. So for me, like being a brown girl, I always had to be like, okay, people people are going to underestimate me, but I'm going to use that to my advantage. Oh, I love when people underestimate me. Do not confuse my pretty face or my nice smile for being soft or stupid. I will come at you. I will cut you with my claws. They're usually very pointy and fake. And I get them in the ghetto because that's where you get good acrylic. People underestimate me all the time. In fact, I can honestly say every big career move that I have Mm -hmm. made in my life is because somebody underestimated me. And I was like, fuck that. Let me just show you. I'm not even going to talk about it. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm just going to blow you out of the water for fun. I'm spiteful, you guys. Hey, I just felt like a wave, a current. Oh, riding oh. through it. Yeah, I, you know, I, I remember that when I was building. Um, I helped build Indie Desk, downtown's first co-working space, mm-hmm. and I distinctly remember being told um, by one of the partners, we had filled the space to capacity, and I said, "Well, I want to, I want to do more. I want to, you know." I want to build private office spaces before we were mm-hmm. came to town. I said, that's a missing gap. And he point blank sat me down and said, don't think anything you've done is special. <gasps> Shook. Right. And I go, okay, you could feel that way, but if it was so easy, why didn't you do it? Mm-hmm. You didn't. And I said, you know what? I'm out. This is not the place for me. I want to go and I want to build this. You don't back that vision. I don't need to be around somebody who doesn't share this vision with me. I'm not going to convince you of my vision. I'm just going to go do it. And I did. 
And then their membership kind of changed. They moved spaces. I remember being cut out of meetings. And I wasn't salty. I was just like, I'm moving on. I will show you. Mm-hmm. And then I did. I moved on. Um, I took a consulting position with Rewarp Studios. I helped them build. Uh, we knew that WeWork was coming to town. And I wanted to prove that people had a demand for micro offices, small offices within a co-working space. And we did. They built out those offices. And I had them booked in six weeks to full capacity. And again, I said, mm-hmm. all right, I've proven my point. I'm moving on. When I helped co-found Grid 110, our nonprofit fashion tech accelerator, same thing. And this is not a – I'm not sitting here trying to stroke my own ego. I'm saying my entire life I've always been told that's a stupid idea. And yet every single stupid idea I've managed to turn into, you know, dollars, trying to make a dollar out of 15 cents, y'all. And I have. So I can definitely relate to you to being underestimated by people. And I'll, I'll be honest – I love when people underestimate me because I just sit there and I'm like, why are you watching what I'm doing? Why do you keep chasing my guests? You keep, for example, Worthy Women. Our Worthy Women series is doing really well in LA. We had people come and speak, be speakers. Next thing you know, some of those past speakers, now they're doing women's series. And who are they pulling? Speakers from my website. So I stopped putting the speakers on the website because people are always trying to take them. You know what? Uh, There's a quote that I really love and it's winners focus on winning and losers focus on winners. Yes. You know, and I feel like the reason why you made all those, quote, stupid ideas so great is that you weren't focused on what negative things people were saying about it. You were focused on winning, you know? Yeah, moving on and building my vision. Nobody's going to see my vision the way I do, and I don't need to convince other people to do it. If it doesn't work, it's that's on me. I tried it, and I don't feel – I don't want to be trapped by the thoughts of what if I didn't do this because that is a game – that will kill you, and I think a lot of people live that way. I want to come back to a quote that you gave me uh, the last time we sat together that I've talked about on this episode with a few other people and I've been using a lot. But you said that you had heard from somewhere else. Someone's healing is waiting through your revealing. And I think both on this show, in my career, you with your music, how evident it is through social media, um, that some of the opportunities that we've had, quote unquote, I don't want to say Mm -hmm. winning, but I'm going to say where we've been able to carve a name for ourselves is because we've chosen to reveal right and that's helped other people heal but I think what it really helps us do is it helps us heal to own that narrative and not let someone else tell your story you being able to do it on your own terms oh yeah definitely I feel like when I've my most honest people recognize that and they appreciate that and when you work with a purpose like it's gonna be all love you know, because people recognize that. So, like, first and foremost, it takes courage to do that. And courage is terrifying. Yes. You know, because whenever you're doing something with courage, you're doing it with heart. You know, and lots of people, lots of people ignore what they feel inside because they feel like that's not, that's not realistic. You know what I mean? Yep. And, like, life is all about going beyond that and just taking it to the next level. So, that's why for me, it's like, I need to be sure that I'm on point, which is why like self-care is so important to me. And I feel like people don't understand and appreciate how far it, how far you can go if you really appreciate and love yourself. Because how you treat yourself and how honest you are with yourself is going to be reflected in how you treat other people. Well, yeah, right. So Oprah uses this a lot. I'm sure somebody else is the original quote, but we teach people how to treat us right? The way we treat ourselves or what we don't do for ourselves is how we give permission to other people. If you're responding to emails at two in the morning, it tells other people that or that you'll instantly respond mm-hmm. to them. No, I will respond to you within 24 hours, usually, unless something's going on. 
I love I Oprah. <laughs> I just want to be the Latina Oprah. Girl, you're on her. your way. I love her. She is incredible. It is like my dream to meet her. I keep saying that on the podcast so that it'll manifest itself. But Super Soul Sunday. I want to be on Super Soul Sunday with Oprah. You know, as a leader in her community, she's really helped shape the next generation mm-hmm. of people. But what I don't feel like we're seeing from our current generation is an Oprah of our generation that's helping to shape that for us, right? And really telling those stories. I'm curious for you, you have a great Instagram following. Social media has been powerful for you, as you've mentioned before. Mm-hmm. As you've progressed in your career and you've really emerged as a leader, how has the way you lead shifted or changed or what changes are you seeing in your demographic in your audience that you're now catering with a little more attention to than you used to I would say for me I've just been very understanding of how many people are actually looking at me and what I do and it's crazy with social media because someone in Atlanta can be inspired with your story yes you know and I've gotten like messages from people in like Atlanta like this this one girl Cashy Dope she reached out to me and she said I love what you're doing and I feel your energy can I work with you and she was actually the first intern for Dizon Dreams wow yeah so when that happened I was like okay everything anything that I put out I need to be authentic because I attract authentic people if I'm authentic with myself, yes. you know? So I, like, for me, I don't want to make it seem like everything is easy. I Like, I show the struggle, you know? If I'm working on, like, yesterday I was working on my website on 4th of July, yep. you know? And that's how it is. Like, when you're building a brand, it's not, there's no on and off button, you know? It's 24-7. And when you're honest with that, people will will support your journey. They truly will. And I think, like you said, it comes down to being honest because if you're fake, and you're trying to be like what other people are doing just to attract the followers, you're attracting followers that you constantly have to impress. They're not there because they actually give a shit about you. They're there because you sold a false perception. Let me give you some Lauren Hill right here. Oh, uh-oh. Here oh, we go. Oh, can we get Lauren Hill on the show? One day. One day, you guys. I love her. The miseducation of Lauren Hill was transformative for me, and her MTV Unplugged album literally changed my life when I was going through a major depression. But she's got this line Mm -hmm. and it's from The Mystery of Iniquity and it is renounce your thoughts, repent and let your mind be retaught. You'll find what you sought was based on the deception you bought. Oh, I wish we had air horns so I can just (laughs) you'll find what you sought was based on the deception that you bought. Like Tell me that wasn't some real shit. Like Lauren Hill was dropping knowledge on us back then, you guys. We didn't even realize it. Even now when I listen to it, I'm like, she was going through some deep things. Like I'm going through some deep things, right? And that's what we say about mm-hmm, music. Mm-hmm. And What's the line? Something to the effect of like, you understand the lyrics when you're going through, when you're sad, right? They speak to you. When you're happy, it's just the vibe of the music, but it's the lyrics that really get to you when you're going through stuff. Music as artists, like, you know, we talk about artists being so tortured, like Kurt Cobain, mm-hmm. you know, um, people that have died too soon from overdose, drug abuse, suicide. Oh, man. Uh, Eddie Vedder recently. Like, I love Eddie Vedder. Like, things that he went through, they just speak to your soul. And again, because they're willing to be so raw and authentic, and they give so much of themselves to us through their music, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that it truly has this incredible impact. But going back to the followers – when you build loyal followings because you're willing to be honest with yourself, it grows. When you don't, like you said, 
you're putting out a false pretense. You're not attracting your tribe. You're doing Mm -hmm. this, like Lauren said, like Lauren Hill said, right? You sought those things and they came back and they were fake. So they didn't support you. So you're just setting yourself up to keep falling because you couldn't get real with yourself. And that's really what it comes down to, getting real. So Lainey, I want to get real with you or hear about a time when you got real with yourself. Have you ever felt other in your life? As a Filipino woman, as a brown woman coming Mm -hmm. up where you sat back and you were like, oh, people don't see me like everyone else. I've been made to feel different and not in a good way. You know what? For me, it's always been weird, like being being involved in music because I feel like I am the only Filipina like in the industry. I was going to say, I don't think I know any other Filipinas in the music industry. So I didn't want to stereotype, but you're right. I think all the Filipinos I know are nurses. Here's a or fun my story. Trainer, who will be in later today. Oh, hey. Trish the ish. Here you go. Yes, that's right. You do know Trish. Yes. Trish. I'm telling you, Filipinos are like this. Yes. <laughs> Trish is going to be uh, recording. She's our last episode we're recording today. Nice. But I was going to mention, so I've been really blessed to have a mentor named Roz. She... I actually met her at Revolt Music Conference. And the reason why we actually like saw each other and I recognized her was because we were the only Filipinos in the conference. Like it was legit like me and her. Like, hey, same, same. You look like me. (laughs) Right. And like for me, I feel like even in hip hop, I feel like no one's sharing the brown girl story. You know, and like when you sent me over like the list of questions and it was like, oh, who are your favorite like feminists? I was like, whoa, like I feel like there's no Filipino girl no it's a lot of it's a lot of white women yeah exactly and I was like why is it like that you know what I mean and it was something that I had a question for myself and I feel like that's why I kind of have a responsibility is because I need to make sure that my voice and what I'm saying is 100% me and I'm not letting other people dictate how that voice sounds you know because especially like it's so crazy. So Aziz Nansari is like one of my favorite Love him. people. And he was like featured in this Vogue interview. And the question was, as a, um, what's your advice for creative Asian Americans who want to get into the industry? And he said something that I was like, whoa, this guy's too real. He was like, don't ask questions like that. You can do anything that a white man can do. Yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh. You know, and I feel like, with Asian Americans, like we put ourselves in that box, like, oh, I'm Asian American, I can't do this. It's like yeah. you can do anything you want to do. If I want to throw a hip hop dance party, I can do it, you know. But it's it's those boundaries that you set up for yourself. So for me, like I celebrate my otherness. I love the fact that I can be a distinct voice that other people haven't heard of. Absolutely, a uh, great line from another past Asian guest, not on the show, but for a Worthy Woman panel, Tamvo. She told our audience at our one-year anniversary event, "May you have the confidence of a mediocre white man." Whoa! Oh, they loved it. It was like the most <laughs> tweeted line we've ever had at any event. May you have the confidence of a mediocre white man. That was good, Tam. The other thing that you just said right now that really struck a chord with me. And is the premise of this show, which I've said here often, is not seeing feminist icons or leaders that look like us. So same thing. You know, I look at feminism today Mm -hmm. and I feel like we're stuck with white girl Lena Dunham. Hello, girls, which I used to love that show. And we've got this like Issa Rae black girl magic. And I think Issa Rae is so dope. Like I... I love her. I think the work she does is incredible. I think her show is incredible. 
But the other thing that I really see from that is Mm -hmm. there are two sides of the spectrum and there's nothing in between. And there is so much in between for us. What's down, right? Where's our Asian girls at? Where's our Southeast Asian girls? Pacific Islander, Filipino, Thai, Afghani, right? Our African-American girls, excuse me, African-American girls, Afro-Latinas, Latinas. Like we're all kinds of shades of brown Mm -hmm, in between mm -hmm. on that spectrum. And it's so challenging when the media only gives us one side or the other and there's nothing in between, which again, why look at our politics right now. We've got extreme left, we've got extreme alt-right, and we have nothing in between that's really addressing and representing the masses, which is why we have these feelings of otherness that are so strong that we have Mm -hmm. to combat to your point about being a social responsibility, not just for us, but for people that we know we need to see some new leadership emerge that is more representative, that is both diverse and inclusive, that is really out there with the best interest at heart for the masses because the reality is we're now the majority. It's getting to be like that. And we you know are the majority and we are severely underrepresented mm-hmm. because we have minority groups that are speaking for us, not representing us. And no wonder we have such revolt in our country at this time. I was just going to say, I need to give you a shout out because I feel like you're doing so much for brown girls right now that people like look at what you're doing and you're inspiring the next girl who doesn't see someone like you killing it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I feel like sometimes we're so in our own hustle that sometimes we forget that what we're doing right now is affecting someone else. That That's why when the girl from Atlanta reached out to me, I was like, whoa, like how did she find me? How did she see that I'm doing this? And it's like, when you are doing that and creating that voice and creating that space within yourself, you inspire the, it's like a trickle effect, you know? And I feel like, like we're making it rain. Like people will hear our voice. Make it rain. Make it rain. I'm doing the fingers. I'm also doing my, make it rain with my dollars in the strip club. I wish I'd like, I don't know why I have a strip club reference in my head now. I obviously did not listen to Jay-Z. Thank you, Jay-Z, for dropping the knowledge of how we should be spending our money, and it's not with strip clubs. Credit. What's up? Good credit. That's important. (laughs) Can we talk about that for the brown community and people? Did you know that Latino Americans are the least – what's the term that somebody used? Underbanked? No, there's another term for it. But basically that don't have, like, banking accounts, right, that don't have good enough credit to have, like – checking accounts and I didn't know that Mm -hmm. that was a thing I did not realize that if you have bad credit you can't get a checking account which probably makes sense because you don't want people that are like bouncing checks and like siphoning money or like doing shady things um and fraudulent stuff Mm -hmm. but I didn't realize that because again the brown markets are most likely to receive predatory lending that they can't pay back, payday cash loans, right? That's why mm-hmm. That's why you go in through the hood and there's a, a check into cash every block, the same that there's a Metro PCS, no credit cell phone place. And you sit there and you go, no wonder, how are we supposed to break out of these chains when all you do is give us low income stuff? You don't have hope for us. How are we supposed to have hope for ourselves when those opportunities don't come down? Um even for Uber, you know, I was saying to my mom, I was like, man, I wish Uber was in Spanish. Like you could request a Spanish speaking driver so that like 
instead of picking up grandma, you could call an Uber for her and put her in an Uber with somebody who speaks her language who can get her where she needs to go, right? Like a senior Mm -hmm. citizen version of that. But even the point of like how many times have you gotten in an Uber with somebody who doesn't speak English well or they speak a different language, they can't understand you, you're calling, you're trying to connect. What must that be like for people where English is not a first language and you're getting in a car with somebody in today's technology and it doesn't support you or help you? That's crazy. Right? Think about the neighborhoods Mm -hmm. we live in. Like, you know, at least for me, like I grew up in North Long Beach, like Paramount. North Long Beach did not get a grocery store with fresh food up until like five years ago. There were no farmer's markets. The nearest grocery store was in Bixby Knolls, a different neighborhood. They were only – oh, and they lost their only bank. There were no banks in North Long Beach. Nearest one was Paramount or, again, Bixby Knolls. No banks. No grocery stores, but the most liquor stores per capita of anywhere in Long Beach in one neighborhood. That's shocking. It's just the demographic, right? It's what the market will bear. And so when we continue to contribute to that, those are the results that we see. It is so our responsibility to really spark the change. When we get tired of seeing that, I'm tired of seeing check cashing places in my neighborhood. I'm tired. Like, I'm curious, like, what is like a stereotypical thing for you? Like in your, well, I'm curious, where did you grow up? Real quick, though, can I just give a shout out to your panel getting paid as a forte? Because oh. that financial literacy is so important. And when I saw that, I said, yes, 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 yes. People don't talk about it. Well, you know why we don't talk about it? Because when you grow up in an immigrant household, money is not a thing that you have. So you, and I'll point blank tell you, my mom told me this when I was a young girl. Mom, why don't we talk about money more? Miha, you don't talk about things that you don't have. No. Yes. You don't talk about what you don't have. You don't talk about money. You don't talk, talk about religion. You don't mm-hmm. talk about politics. It's not polite. People already don't like us. You don't need to have extra opinions. Imagine being told you don't need to have extra opinions because people already don't like you because you exist. And now you can't talk about money because you don't have it. Right? Where's my too short? Don't have it. You can't get it. Right? Yeah. But going back to what you said, I'm actually born and raised in the Valley. All right, you valley you know, girl. Valley girl, you know. Great neighborhoods. These mm-hmm. days, it's a lot, very Middle Eastern. There's some really good kebabs, some shawarma, my favorite kinds of hairy dudes. <gasps> I swear to God, that's the only reason I ever want to go north of where the 101 and the 110 meet, you guys, because every dude with great chest hair is in the valley, and they call me Habibti. Shout out. Shout out to the valley. Uh, and you can take the orange line there now. Oh, It's yeah. extended all the way up to Chadsworth. Oh, snap. Yeah. I do that once a week when I train with Trish. I take the red line to the end, and I get on the orange line, and I go up to Valley Village. I love being born and raised in the Valley because I feel like lots of people, like, they don't like the Valley, but you, there's so many hidden gems in the Valley that you don't know about. There are, and it's beautiful. It really is. The houses are bigger. It's just outside of downtown. Mm-hmm. There are some really cool things up there. Shout out to the Valley. Shout out to the Valley. Back to getting paid is her forte. Can I tell you how many people go, God, that sounds so familiar, but they don't actually recognize where that comes from? All right. Real life question here. And we just did this over the previous episode. Which is the greatest hip hop song of all time for you? Oh, my gosh. Why did you do that to me? Okay. Well, let me ask you this question because this was our debate on a previous episode. Uh Is Return of the Mac or... Or No Diggity, the better song of the two. Dude, I got to go with Return the Mac. That's what I said. I mean, I love No Diggity because I feel like five of those lines or more are very me. It was meant for me. Mm -hmm. 
but Return of the Mac. You literally cannot hear that song without being like, oh. I can't, God, you sorry, feel guys, the joy in that. And also, I just want that song to play whenever I walk through a door. <gasps> is that your walk-up song? Mm-hmm. Mine is Fancy. Ooh. Yes. Yes. Sometimes it's the Iggy version. Sometimes it's the Drake version. Okay. So I just thought about my favorite hip-hop song. Here we go. Yes. And it's only because, like, this song kind of changed my life. And I'll go into that story briefly. So it's going to be Nas One Mike. Yeah. Because that has such a powerful message. And fun fact, I actually got my first internship working at a PR company because I used Nas lyrics in my cover letter. Yes. Snaps. And what's wild is I totally believe in manifesting energies and things like that. So actually the, the PR company that I worked for, I was doing an internship for three months. And then at the end of the three months, I ended up working with Nas for one of our events. Oh. Mm-hmm. And he sang one mic and I said, this is my life. This is the life I chose. Girl. So that's why that song is so meaningful to me because it's not just about the lyrics, but it's also about applying it to your life and then manifesting what you want in real life. Okay. I'm just going to say this. Since you told us this story. My version of that is going to be if I can manifest common for when I drop my book. Girl, you know that's so doable. I love – so Blue Sky, one of Common's greatest, least appreciated songs in my life. That song, I was living that. I live that now. And he's got this line that goes, dirty to worthy, now I'm all wordy. And I'm like, that was me. I found myself worth. I went dirty to worthy. That's the title of the book. And now I'm all wordy because all I do is talk and write. Common's voice is remarkable, and he's so intelligent. Oh, he is so smart. That dude brain fucks me with his lyrics. Let me just tell you, ladies, (laughs) I love me some Common. Like, if anybody – I look at celebrity crushes. Everybody has their celebrity crush, right? Mm -hmm. Usually an actor. No. If I could have Common singing the light in my ear, I would just melt. Oh, my gosh. That man is so fine. And you're right. He's brilliant. He's handsome. He creates beautiful music. He literally brain fucks me and kind of ear fucks me too with his music. I love it. I'll take all of it. it, What I love about him is he's such an OG in the game, but he transitioned so well into acting. And he he got an Oscar or a Golden Globe or one of those. He's killing it. Also, I actually met him when I was actually working at Arclight Hollywood. I'm dying. Yes. I couldn't concentrate because his voice was just as amazing as it sounds. And I was like, I, w- I wanted to ask him, be like, can you like just rap a little bit, please? Because that song is just, and he has fine friends too, Liz. So let's just leave it at that. Oh, so down for you, Common. Since Lainey manifested Nas, I believe in the power that I'm going to manifest Common. So this is going to happen. That and Oprah. And maybe we're going to get somebody really cool on the show like Lauren Hill. So I can be like, Lauren, you changed my life. Oh, uh, Lainey, it's been incredible having you on the show, uh, imparting words of wisdom that you have for our community and particularly the Filipina sisters listening. Imparting words, be authentic and share your story because no one can share your story. It's yours own to make. So make that happen. Beautiful. And where can people find you? Y'all can find me on Instagram, on the gram, Lainey Dizon. Uh, and D's on Dreams and you can find me on the dance floor every month at the drop 2000s hip hop what up 
Lainey, this has been fabulous. You can find me at Audrey Bellis, and this has been Brown Girls Rising. Until next time. We hope this episode has inspired you. For more, visit browngirlsrising.com. Follow us socially on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Worthy Women LLC and at Brown Girls Rising for future episodes. Until next time.